C.S. Lewis, a converted atheist, made Anglican, who never quite made it all the way into the Catholic Church, to the great dismay of his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, often commented on his own love of the ceremonial worship of the Anglican Church. Some of his fictional writing, particularly his final novel, Till We Have Faces, meditates on the noble simplicity which is Christian liturgical worship. Nevertheless, he once commented on the state of the liturgy in his day by saying, I wish they'd remember that the charge to Peter was, feed my sheep, not try experiments on my rats, or even teach my performing dogs new tricks. When you finish hearing this gospel passage from St. Mark, you would be left thinking that Christ himself seems to be condemning any sort of traditional religion. You disregard God's commandment, he says, but cling to human tradition. Of course, his use of the word tradition here is directly referring to the question of the Pharisees. Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders? I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard this argument, but I've been approached by more than one Protestant Christian who has presented this verse to me as evidence for why the Catholic Church clearly is in error by offering ritual forms of worship or a clerical hierarchy or the parish and diocesan system of governance. Surely they say the Catholic Church is simply the Pharisees of today. They're right, of course. Many of our Lord's condemnations of the Pharisees can certainly be applied to me and to you, and if I may be bold enough to say, to them as well. We are most certainly hypocrites, all of us. Each have our own vicious rituals that we fall into each day. We are all defiled within and without. From within people, from their hearts, says the Lord, comes evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. So yes, we are all defiled. You and me, and our friends across the street, all guilty. None of us are exempt from Christ's condemnation in this passage. But have I avoided the question? What about the claim that our ritual worship is mere human tradition? What of that? Well, on that point, we need a little more discussion. St. Mark, being that he was writing to a non-Jewish audience, is always very careful to explain those intricate parts of Jewish custom which readers may not always be familiar with. Sadly, he's not always clear enough, so you have to know where to go in Scripture to find the full answer. In this passage, we're presented with two separate practices of the Pharisees. They question the Lord as to why the apostles do not wash their hands before they eat, or why they do not ritually bathe when they return from the market. So what's this all about? In the Mosaic Law, remember that the law was given to Moses by God, not the other way around. We always forget that God was the one who gave the law to Moses. In the Mosaic Law, the priests were always to wash their hands before offering sacrifice. And we still do that. In a few minutes, one of the servers is going to bring me a little bowl of water, and I'm going to wash my hands and pray that my sins will go away. The Pharisees extended that practice to all meals, not as a law, not as a point of hygiene, but as their own pious custom. 
Yet they clearly expected everyone else to follow suit. You weren't really a good Jew, they said, unless you did more than you were required. And what about these ritual baths? Well, you may know that Jews had to ritually bathe themselves whenever they went to the temple if they had come in contact with something which was ritually impure, certain foods or actions or persons, for example. But the Pharisees were scrupulous in this regard, and they assumed that a marketplace would be full of traded objects, and surely those objects might have come in contact with something impure along the trade route, so better off that you cleanse yourself any time you go to the market, lest you be stuck in a state of impurity unaware. You see what sort of issues the Lord is dealing with here. He's not speaking about those people who just make their sacrifices and obey the law. He's dealing with the group of people who are overburdening others with their own pious and scrupulous practices. So he tells them very clearly, you disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. How did they disregard God's commandment? Not merely by their own sinful and secret acts, but also because of the words from Moses that we heard in the first reading. After giving them the law, Moses tells the Hebrew people, you shall not add to what I command you, nor subtract from it. So we are not speaking of an issue of ritual worship or priesthood or anything of that sort, but of a scrupulous people who seem to think that their mere outward show will be enough. But that's our Lord's point. A mere outward display is never enough. It is what is within a man that causes him harm or does him good. Now, this isn't to say that our ritual worship is meaningless. I'm not standing up here in vestments and lace for no reason. God's own formula for worship, given in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, and the vision of sacred worship that we see in the book of Revelation is ritualized worship. It is ordered because God is order. It is beautiful because God is beauty itself. And we are meant to enter into this ritual worship, the sacred liturgy, so that it might transform us, like military men who undergo a series of drills. We are meant to learn from this repetitive action until it becomes a part of us, and we a part of it. All this standing and sitting and the opening and closing of my hands and facing this direction than that is not done for show. These are not mere human tradition. The church is desiring to teach us how to live, to prepare us for eternal life. The sacred liturgy is a sort of dress rehearsal for heaven. Each time we come to the Mass, for example, we should gaze into the sanctuary and tell ourselves that behind this plaster and brick, we are in the sanctuary of heaven. Over there is the choir of angels. St. Nicholas and St. Patrick are having a chat over by the Blessed Virgin altar. This is no mere spectacle, nor is this a sort of really odd dinner club that we've just kept going for a few centuries. Yet in some way, in some regrettable way, many Catholics today have lost an understanding of what all of this is. They think that we're really here for a homily, or for the people, or for the music, or so that our mother-in-law will be happy with us. Even some priests have started to see themselves as entertainers, or as guest chefs on Julia Child's cooking show. They see their role as keeping you awake, and focused, focused on their words and actions. But we are not here for me. We are here to render to God the worship that is due to him. The problem is that in recent history, at least, Catholics have been told two things. 
First, they've been told that the Mass is only so holy and only so reverent inasmuch as it reflects the people or builds community or is easy to grasp. But none of these are bad things. But they are not the Mass. The Mass is no greater or lesser when it is offered here or in some lonely altar in a monastery or in a prison cell by a captured priest or by the Holy Father himself upon the papal altar in Rome. It may seem different to our eyes, but it is one offering and has but one true priest who is Christ the Lord. And it should be that offering which draws us here on Sunday. Everything else is secondary. And the other issue is that the good intention of the Second Vatican Council to promote what they termed the active participation of the faithful has often been mutilated to mean a simple external observance of actions. But somehow, if every person isn't grasping the hymnal, then the liturgy is severely harmed. But we are not meant to be here to cling to our own human tradition, or to be so foolish to believe that mere external piety will somehow make us better. We are meant to be formed by the Mass, such that our standing and our sitting and our responsives are not mere flattery, but true expressions of what we really believe, true expressions of our heart. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good, and for the good of all his holy church. These words should mean something to us. Pope Benedict XVI commented, I'm convinced that the crisis the church is facing today is to a large extent due to the disintegration of the liturgy. It's high time that Catholics stop getting in a car on Sunday morning to come hear a sermon. Catholics today need to relearn what they should have been taught as children, how to pray at Mass, how to pray the Mass. And as a little caveat, that is in some part what I wish to begin sharing with some of you on Sunday mornings beginning next week between Masses, if you choose to attend, and I recommend you do. This is an important topic for all of us to consider, not merely because the sacred liturgy is the core of our faith, but because, very sadly, the liturgy today is often a place in our church that we find division or party lines. But we are not speaking of a mere human act when we speak of the liturgy. We are speaking of God acting through us, the only fitting offering we could ever give to God himself. Man was incapable of offering to God anything that would be worthy of his magnificence. So God gave us himself to be offered in the sacred liturgy. Together, therefore, with Mary and with all the saints, let us go to the altar of God.